Your attitude is very unhip. Listen, I'm probably the hippest guy around here. I got a, a house full of strangers. I got cats, I got dogs, I got pot, I got acid, I got LSD cubes. Don't tell me about hip. I, I am so hip, it hurts. That's how hip I am. It's very unhip to say you're hip, Harold. And it's very unhip of you to tell me that I am unhip. Webster's Dictionary defines a hippie as a young person who rejects established social customs, i.e. as dressing in an unusual way or living in a commune, and who opposes violence and war. However, the movies tell us a different story. If cinema is to be believed, then a hippie is nothing more than a sex-crazed, pot-smoking, drum-circling burnout who doesn't work, doesn't bathe, and would want nothing more than to join a death cult and go on an LSD-fueled murder spree. On today's episode of Slums of Film History, we're going to groove out on the films that show the wilted side of flower power. So be sure to turn on, tune in, and drop out with us as we become horrible hippies. This is Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is normally not discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week, one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and the school's the other. We discuss everything from s Nazis to murderous children to big-ass insects. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hey, Slate. Hi, Tom. What's going on? No, nothing. Just going on an LSD-fueled murder <laughs> spree. <laughs> yeah, LSD. So Slate's making a joke because it took me a while to say that in the intro. Yeah. So now he's going to say that throughout the whole episode. So mm-hmm. feel free to yell it out with him when he does it. LSD-fueled murder spree. Everybody together. LSD-fueled, oh. yeah. Great. All right, so what do we got to put out before we start? So we have a lot of feedback from two of our episodes, Revenge of the Grave and Big Bugs. Okay, yeah. Let's start with Revenge of the Grave. All right. So this came from listener Bailey, and he said, I'd like to point out that both the crow and the wraith have characters named Skank. Oh, they do? Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of comments about Big Bugs, which was great because that is the episode I was working on for a long time. So I definitely wanted to make sure that it kind of connected with everyone. We heard from Chris, who actually really enjoyed the remake of King Kong, even though Tom didn't really love it so much. It was okay. It was all right. But he said he was friends with Forrest J. Ackerman, who was uh, the editor of Famous Monsters of Movie Land and was one of the big influences on Peter Jackson. Huh. And he actually had two armature figures from the original King Kong that Jackson scanned for use as the basis for the monsters in King Kong. Isn't that really cool? That is really cool. 
Then he also mentioned the fact that I didn't bring up Mant. Do you remember what Mant yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, Mant. People came out of the woodworks to remind me that I forgot Mant. I mean, you brought it up during the William Castle episode. Correct, but, but yeah. not with Big Bugs. Well, I mean, it's not a real movie. It's a no. fake movie, but I should have brought up Mant just because they did kind of like make up a whole movie for the purposes of being in the movie, which is, you know, based on William right. Castle as uh, John Goodman plays William Castle. Right. I thought that was funny. Yeah, that is funny. And Mant is a pretty funny title. Yeah, so listen. Listener Daniel also brought that up. Mant, the fake giant ant film. Paul, my co-worker, also brought this up. Everyone in the world brought up Mant. Mant uh, yeah. So that was good. So definitely, sorry about that. I will. I should have definitely put that in there. And I, I am a big fan of Mant, even though it's not a real movie. You said fan of Mant. I'm a fan of Mant. <laughs> in addition, listener Daniel wrote that the first giant bug movie was actually in 1912, and that's called How a Mosquito Operates by Windsor McKay. He was considered the father of animation. It's basically an animated short film where okay. a mosquito lands on a guy's face and sucks all of his blood blood out so mm. that was the first big bug man it's huge it's the size of his face so wow that's great i remember saying that the first big bug movie was them but apparently in 1912 there was a big bug movie called how a mosquito operates so to be remade as skeeter or man skeeto man skeeto back in the, in the late 80s or whenever that yeah. came out. yep so thanks, everyone. Thanks. Again, keep it coming. We love to hear stuff that we missed or uh, the fact that everyone seems to have a giant boner for Mant. Mant, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, you fucked up on that Mant thing. I would have known. Yeah. All right, well, onward to the episode about hippies. All right, so this is my second listener-suggested topic. My mm-hmm. first one was Insane Asylums, and my second one was this one, Horrible Hippies. And it was given to us, we don't have a name, but we have like a handle, and that person is... Duck Cow Whale Fighter Rules All. Yes. All one word. So if you're that person, we'd like to actually get a name so we can shout you out. If you want. If you want. If you don't give a shit, then... Then that's fine. Fuck but anyway, you. Yeah. that series of words, I'd like to say thank you for suggesting this topic, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Yeah. All right, let's get started. So you and I sort of debated about this one. You were going to do it, and mm-hmm. then I was going to do it, and then you were going to do it, and then I just stole it and said I'm going to do it. Yep. And that's what happened. And I like this one and where we placed it because it's a nice companion piece to my cheerleaders episode and that it's a certain type of trope and how the majority of representation on the screen is overwhelmingly negative. Right, right. So I'm going to talk about that. I'm excited. Yeah. So let me start off with the 60s because I kind of want to set the stage for why hippies even appeared, why that whole phenomenon happened, the counterculture. Okay. Just to throw a couple of things that happened in the 60s to kind of show what a tumultuous time it was. November 22nd, 1963, which was the day Kennedy was assassinated Mm -hmm. in Dallas, Texas, and President Johnson was sworn in same day. Another date, July 2nd, 1964, President Johnson signs the Civil Rights Act. The act outlaws discrimination in public facilities such as parks and in public accommodations such as hotels and restaurants, and it prohibits employment discrimination on the basis of race, ethnicity, religion, or gender. That was a big damn deal. Yeah, sure. So, you know, that really changed a lot of things. And then, of course... On March 8, 1965, the first American combat troops waited ashore at China Beach, north of Da Nang. There were also about 23,000 military advisors already on the ground. So adding this brigade in there signaled our growing commitment to the Vietnam conflict, which is also a very big deal. So there's a lot of shit going on in the 60s. 60s They're a very crazy time. So this kind of attitude, I think, was reactionary, all that. And of course, there's other things that are happening. I just threw out some of the prominent ones. 
But, you know, considering the relative calm of the 50s, even though that's kind of fictional, the 50s really weren't that calm, but they weren't, I think, as batshit nuts as the 60s turned out to be. People were quiet about everything that was happening. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Thus, you started seeing the counterculture. Now, I also want to clarify, too, when we talk about 60s counterculture, it's really the latter part of the 60s. We always say that the 60s didn't really start until about 67. Yeah, 66, 67. You know, the first part of the 60s was really very much like the 50s. I mean, the Beatles started coming out, things started changing a little bit, but the whole 60s counterculture really didn't happen until about mid-1967, which is known as the Summer of Love, and I'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. But let's back up a minute and define what a hippie is. So I'm kind of pulling this from Wikipedia, but the word hippie comes from hipster and was initially used to describe beatniks who moved to New York City's Greenwich Village and San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury district. Uh, the term hippie was first popularized in San Francisco by Herb Cain. He was a journalist for the San Francisco Chronicle. So mm-hmm. that was the first time the actual term hippie was used okay. to talk about these people. Hippies were usually characterized as listening to psychedelic music. They embraced the sexual revolution. They used drugs, of course, like marijuana, LSD, shrooms, as the kid call mushrooms, mm-hmm. you know, the kids do these days. And they always were trying to explore altered states of consciousness. That was a big deal. Hippies. Uh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Besides the surface stuff, though, I think the hippie movement was a little bit more than that. You know, it was, a re- again, a reaction to the change that I talked about earlier. And it was also, like, very deeply critical of society that their parents accepted. You know, hippies sympathized with the political positions of fellow dissenters. Although they rarely use politics. Here's the thing with hippies, and I want to clarify. I think we group hippies together uh, with protesters, and certainly a lot of protesters who are out there sitting on the front lines and putting flowers in the barrels of guns mm-hmm. were hippies. You know, they follow the same kind of mentality, but I think everyone thinks all hippies did that. Right, sure. Generally, most hippies tuned out of all that shit. Yeah, they didn't even give a shit. They weren't even they were very like, political. I'm going to live on a farm and like... Right. Yeah, they weren't playing those games. They thought that adults, they thought all the squares did that shit. They weren't in the lobbying. They weren't in the protesting. Right. They were like against any establishment type of culture. So they just dropped out of it. You know, they weren't into. Yeah, they lived in like communes. They didn't need anything. Yeah. Yeah. All they cared about was dressing weird, you know, listening to music. And fucking. And fucking. Yeah, they all fuck each other. That's pretty much the idea of hippies, or at least what's generally referred to as the hippie counterculture. Sure. An LSD-fueled murder spree. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll definitely get to that. Uh, one thing hippies did was they formed small groups and lived together in what is known as communes. Mm-hmm. One of the first people to do that, or at least that was well-known that did that, was Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters. We talked about Ken Kesey when I did Insane Asylums. He's the guy that wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, right, sure. And so he kind of had his own little community in California. He could afford it because he made a lot of money off his books. And so, you know, it was a big party or whatever. And a lot of that is documented in the book by Tom Wolfe called The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, sure. where he and his Mary Pranksters get on a bus and they paint in all these crazy colors and go around and be fucking hippies. But mm-hmm. that was one of the first prominent communes, so to speak. And then another one that I guess was prominent was one called Friends of Perfection. And they lived in San Francisco. And that formed right around the Summer of Love, which was 1967. i go a little bit more. Uh, detail on that. So essentially, the summer love has been referred to as one of the most important widespread social political gatherings, especially for the hippie movement. During that summer, over 100,000 people convened and relocated to the Haight-Ashbury district in San Francisco. Yeah. Hippies actually went to most major cities as well in America and in Europe, but it was that San Francisco piece was really where it was at man mm-hmm. you know that's that's where the groove's at mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah i'm, I'm all over you're it. I'm so, on it yeah you're dread i can't <laughs> even hear you because your dreadlocks are just like i know you man know? I just, you just don't get it man i'm sorry you don't get it so of course when you see this type of movement what causes culture clash 
What always happens? Well, the movie industry tries to get on board and exploit the fuck out of it. Yeah. And they do, right off the bat. And there's a series of movies that were produced right around this time period, which actually are called hippie exploitation movies. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty interesting because these movies, they're made as cautionary tales sure. of this lifestyle, but then they also revel in the debauchery, and that's why people go see them. They want to see naked ex- hippies yeah. be trippy, and so it's, it's the purest form of exploitation. It's great. It's, uh, we wouldn't exist without these types of movies. I know, so, it's yeah. wonderful. So the first hippie exploitation movie I could find was a movie called Riot on the Sunset Strip from 1967. Okay. Riot on Sunset Strip, the happening that blazed headlines across the nation. Teenagers. Wild, beat, protesting, with no direction, no goal, fighting only for the right to be heard. Have you ever been to a blanket party? Grass. Grass smokers. Their story is it shouldn't be unlawful. Come on, get with it. Let's go to a freakout. Do you know what acid can do to an inexperienced young girl? The most shocking film of our generation. I'm reading the IMDb plot description of this because I didn't watch this shit, but it's about these kids who want to hang out in Hollywood clubs, smoke pot, and do some underage drinking like everybody does. The local businessmen want to get rid of them, but the LAPD sergeant in charge wants to kind of help them out. Like He's like, hey, give the kids a break, you know? Mm-hmm. So they extend a curfew a bit and try to work with them, but the kids break their side of the bargain and they party and they break into a mansion and do whatever. And so this one girl who's the chief of police's daughter is given acid and gang raped because acid is like the worst drug ever, as you'll see in these movies coming yeah, up. I don't think acid makes anybody horny, but yeah, okay. acid, it's, it turns into a freak. Acid is like the reefer madness, you know, drug, you know, yeah. back when pot was terrible in the 30s sure. and killed everybody. That's acid in, in the 60s. And we'll talk more about that. But anyway, she's getting raped. When the police chief finds out, he beats up some of the rapists. And then I guess part of that starts this riot and these kids riot in the streets and it's a big to do or whatever. That's pretty much the, the movie. Okay. Well, the thing is, that's based on a true event. So I haven't seen this movie. I don't know anything about it. I don't know if it's CD or kick ass or whatever. I don't know. But one thing to point out is that it was released six weeks after the late 1966 Sunset Strip curfew riot. So it's based on a true thing. And this came out just six weeks after. So this happened and somebody's like, let's make a movie about that in six weeks. And they did it and they released it. So just to give you a little backstory on the actual riot, the Sunset Strip curfew riots, also known as the hippie riots, of course, were a series of clashes that took place between police and young people on the Sunset Strip of Hollywood, California, beginning in the mid 1960s and continuing on and off through the 70s. So I guess this was happening back and forth. Wow. But in 1966, annoyed residents and business owners in the district wanted a 10 p.m. curfew set for teenagers because mm-hmm. they were loitering and being dirty fucking hippies. They're on our lawns. Yeah, get off our lawns. Hippies and they wanted a, yeah. picking our flowers, eating our shrooms. Yeah. So, of course, the kids thought this was an infringement of their civil rights. And then on Saturday, November 12, 1966, these flyers were put out inviting people to demonstrate later that day. And then a thousand demonstrators show up and there was like a riot. And actually, fun fact, celebrities Jack Nicholson and Peter Fonda were there. And I think Peter Fonda got arrested at at the curfew riots. That's because it was an LSD-fueled murder spree. (laughs) Exactly. So this movie took advantage of that. That's great. Yeah. My next movie came out the same year. A lot of these hit 1967, by the way. Sure, yeah. But the next one is called Hallucination Generation. And, Catchy. of course, this is another warning against the hazards of pill popping mm-hmm. and hedonism. That this oh, is very those much are the a, best parts, though. I agree. It's a damn shame. But this is very much like the reefer madness of this time. Mm-hmm. Come join the world of the hipsters, the beatniks, the sickniks. Reach out for frenzied fantasies, debauched dreams, bizarre sensualities. 
hallucination generation. The experimenters who try anything, stopping only at the outer edge of nowhere. The film is set in Spain, where a small group of American young adults are living. The leader of the group is a drug dealer, of course. The other ones are like live-free beatniks, everyone mm-hmm. else in the group. The leader has more nefarious aims in mind. He uses drugs to lure others into like lives of crime. So I guess he uses LSD for a drug-fueled crime spree. Maybe mm-hmm. not a murder, murder spree, yeah. but definitely well, a crime spree. Crime can lead to murder. Yeah. The movie's in black and white, but it has psychedelic sequences, which are like a I staple of a lot of these. Oh, I yeah. love that. Just trippy shit depicting, you know, what LSD looks like. And those scenes are in color. So it's sort of like, you know, when it's Wizard like of Oz, when Psychedelic Dorothy version goes of into, Wizard of Oz. Yeah. yeah. That's, so, that's hallucination generation. The next one's called The Love Ends. That's also from 1967. I know The Love Ends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's loosely based on 1960s American figure Timothy Leary, who was a big LSD advocate. He's well-known. I'm not going to really talk about him much, but this is like a fictional version of him. Sure. It takes place in the Haight-Ashbury district, and the plot basically centers on the Timothy Leary guy becoming the head of a cult-like following of hippies, and they all, of course, enjoy LSD, not necessarily a murder spree. Do they fuck? Of course. It's yeah. a hippie movie. But the LSD cult leader rises to power, and then some stupid shit happens, and one of the hippie followers wants to kill him and end his hippie reign. Mm-hmm. So that happens, but then it just turns that guy into a martyr. So, I don't know. That's it. Okay. Turns him into a martyr. Yeah, and I remember like, this movie. Yeah, it's, it's part of that whole thing. It's interesting, too. Like, And you'll see a lot of these with the counterculture movies. It's like you kind of end up fighting the establishment or something, and you lose, but then you kind of, you know, they're remembered as somebody like a martyr for the cause mm-hmm. kind of thing. This is one of those movies. You'll see more examples of that yeah. as we go on. But that's pretty much the, the love-ins. So the next movie I'm talking about is The Trip from 1967. You've heard of this one. I before. know The Trip, yeah. Okay. So it's Roger Corman. Yeah, he directed it. And then it's a Fonda. So right. it's Peter Fonda. Peter Fonda. Peter Fonda, yeah, Fonda yeah. Correct, yes. So it stars Peter Fonda, and it also has Jack Nicholson in it and Bruce Dern. So the story is Peter Fonda is kind of having a a personal crisis. His wife left him. So he goes to see his friend John, who's played by Bruce Dern. And he's like a self-styled guru who's into LSD. Still part of that Timothy Leary type of thing. Mm -hmm. He asked John to like be his guide for his first trip. So John, Bruce Dern, takes Peter Fonda to like his friend's house to get acid, who's played by Dennis Hopper. So Mm -hmm. even Dennis Hopper's in this. Yep. They score some acid. And then Peter Fonda like... Basically takes LSD and has a bunch of weird visions of sex, death, strobe lights, flowers, all types of shit. And the whole movie is just basically his trip. Right. Like, just that's it. Yep. He gets through it. And then at the very end, you know, he's like, okay, I made it through the trip. My life is different. And then at the end, like the screen cracked or something, I guess, symbolizing that it fucked him up somehow Uh or he's never the same. I I don't know. I feel like it was trying to be a cautionary tale at the end, but really reveled in all the crazy psychedelic imagery, nudity, sex exploitation and then at the end it was like lsd's bad you know right, in, in a sure. weird sequence that doesn't really make sense i'm peter fonda we've just finished making a movie dealing with the most talked about subject of the day lsd i honestly believe it will be today's most talked about motion picture the name of the picture is the trip here goes it will blow your mind Fun fact, real quick, on the trip. It was released at the end of August 1967 at the pinnacle of the Summer of Love. The film had a huge cultural impact and grossed $6 million, a massive sum for a movie that cost $100,000 to make. Yeah, sure. That's a huge profit on that. Also, fun fact, Roger Corman actually took acid before starting the film, figuring he couldn't make a film about LSD without trying it himself. According to him, he had a good experience, and he asked others what a bad trip was like so he can incorporate it in the film. Uh Uh-huh. So, good for him. Well, that's good. He should have done that. I mean, if you're going to make an acid 
acid movie, you need to know what you're doing. Right, yeah. right. One thing I want to point out for this year before I move forward, a film that kind of touched on the hippie thing, was The Producers. Came out in 1967. If you remember, there was a character in there who played the Hitler role in Springtime for Hitler. He was a hippie that just kind of wandered into the casting call. Mm -hmm. And his name was Lorenzo St. Dubois, or LSD was his Uh, nickname. uh And he could barely remember his own name. And he was like really just like out of it and was like a burnout. He was the one that played Hitler. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, one of the early things I can think of where they were just straight up making fun of hippies. Right. Because this summer of love. The view of hippies up to now was sort of a cautionary tale and beware of drugs and getting involved in the counterculture and here you have the producers just kind of making fun sure like they're just burnout idiots so it's an interesting portrayal okay now i'm moving on 1968 and here we have some hippie exploitation that gets some higher profile type of actors in it the first one i want to talk about is a movie called love you alice p talkless talkless you heard of this one nope it's a romantic comedy film starring Peter Sellers, mm-hmm. of all people. Sellers stars as a self-described square, a 35-year-old Los Angeles lawyer, he looks much older in this movie, who is not looking forward to middle age and his upcoming wedding. His life changes ever when he falls in love with Nancy, a free-spirited hippie girl. After Harold and his family enjoy some of her pot brownies, there's a big pot brownie scene sure. in this movie, he decides to drop out with her and become a hippie also. But then he realized maybe this lifestyle isn't up to his liking, so it kind of goes bad. You know, and he realizes maybe he's just too uptight for hippie culture. Is it a rom- it's a romantic comedy? And it's a romantic comedy. So is this kind of like the Bullworth of, like, hippies <laughs> type of thing of I where it's like... To me, this is... He's like, like, hey, like a- young kids, let's tie-dye. Kinda. But he's like 50? Yeah, kinda. It's actually, it seems more like a Woody Allen type of movie. Sellers mm-hmm. plays like a Woody Allen-esque character. I see. This is not cool. I mean, all if he just started acting like New York Jewish, he'd sound just like right. Woody Allen because... The mannerisms were the same, and he's just like arguing about hippie stuff, and he's like, I'm hip. You say you're hip, but I'm hip. Like, uh-huh. that's stupid shit. Got so it. it's one of those things where a square tries to be hip and realize that life's not for him. Mm-hmm. Sure. Fun fact, the film's title is a tribute to Gertrude Stein's lifelong partner, Alice P. Toklas, Toklas, I can never get that right, who published a cookbook in 1954 that contained the first printed recipe for hash fudge. Mm. I love the, the word fudge. Yeah, I like then hash. Fudge. Hash. Hey, don't eat those, Ma. They're Alice B. Toklas brownies. Mm, I love you, Alice B. Toklas. Oh, Who is Alice B. Toklas? Gertrude Stein's friend. Oh, yeah, Gertrude Stein. She used to live on Oakwood. My next movie I want to talk about is Batshit Crazy. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking nutty film. It's called Wild in the Streets, and that's also from 1968. And that's starring fucking Hal Holbrook and Shelley Winters. Who mm. Shelley Winters is nuts in everything she does. Correct. But also, fun fact, it has Richard Pryor and a cameo of Dick Clark in this movie. Mm. It's crazy. It's, it's fucking crazy. President before he's 25. Following a campaign that broke every rule in the book, people went wild. Wild in the Streets. Starring Shelley Winters. Be therapist. Al Holbrook. Richard Pryor. He lived like a young monarch. We're gonna make 30. A mandatory retirement age. We're gonna psych them all out on LSD, babies. The plot is a wealthy 22-year-old rock star, his name's Max Frost, decides to endorse this like congressman who's running on the Democratic ticket for California Senate. Things change or things, whatever. I think Max gets tired of this guy and thinks that he's too old because he's not hip or whatever. 
And so Max decides to run on his own, and he want, what he wants to do is change the voting age to 14 because he's like, these old squares don't know how to run anything. Fuck mm-hmm. these people. And so somehow he gets elected, and he ends up running for president and gets elected then because all these kids can vote that are 14. And when he gets into power, he sends like all the people that are th- over 34 years of age into like, re-education camps and keeps them sedated with LSD because, of course, of course you can do that. Sure. Right. When you're not going on a murder spree on LSD, you can use it to keep people complacent. Totes legal. Yeah. And of course, as he does it, you know, he dissolves the army, the FBI, the CIA, and starts sending free grain to poor countries. It's like hippie dream come true. But at the end, he's talking to these young kids, and they think that he's too old. And of course, 10-year-olds are now going to rebel against the people that are in their 20s who are too old. It's an insane movie. It's the most ridiculous fucking movie. I think it's also a cautionary tale, but it's like, this is what will happen if the hippie dream come true, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's that's what it shows. But Shelley Winters is fucking crazy. She's, she's crazy in this. She's getting high. Bag. She's dropping acid in this movie. It's something that's... She's a nutbag, yeah. Yeah, this is fucking just nuts. So you need to watch it. I have a free copy on the website. So you guys need to check this movie out. Fun fact, Barry Williams, a.k.a. Greg Brady from the Brady Bunch show, plays the teenage Max Frost at the beginning of the movie. Oh, really? Yeah, that's cool. The good old Greg Brady. Mm -hmm. Another fun fact, this movie was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Editing. Really? Yeah. So we're leaving 1968 now, but my next movie is probably the most important hippie movie ever. Easy Rider. Easy Rider from 1969. And, of course, that's the American independent road drama film written by Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, and Terry Southern. Produced by Fonda, directed by Hopper. This movie is credited as basically starting the 70s American film renaissance. Yeah, absolutely. My sister, not a cinephile, uh, Mm -hmm. was like, I just watched Easy Rider and I didn't like it. And I wanted to burn the house down. I was (laughs) furious. It's such an incredible movie. It's still a great movie. Any way you slice it, one of the finest films ever made. This year, the judges of the Cannes Film Festival presented the award Best Film by a New Director to Easy Rider. It's the story of a man who went looking for America and couldn't find it anywhere. It's a fine film. I don't... Don't burn the house down. I don't hate this movie. We're in your house. Yes, please don't burn my house down. It's going down. (laughs) It's a fine movie. I can get on board with all the great things. It's not my fave. Well, I won't say that it's, you know, a movie that I'm like, oh, I think I'll just pop all Easy Rider in and sit down and have a beer. You know, right. it's not it's not an easy watch, you know? Right. But I, I don't know. I, I saw the movie when I was a kid. And a lot of times when you're a kid, you don't really understand movies. And I, even I think I probably saw it when I was 14. And I was just like, holy shit, this is a good movie. Yeah, no, yeah. it's definitely a good movie. It's a great movie. Not my favorite, but it's a great movie. And for those of you who haven't seen it, I'll just kind of run down what the deal is. So, huh, what's that smoke? Uh, <laughs> Slate's burning, burning out. down. Hmm. All right, so the plot of Easy Rider is Fonda and Hopper play two bikers who travel through the American Southwest and parts of the South with money they got from a drug deal, essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's roughly a plotless movie. It's just oh, yeah. from situation to situation. That's why it's so good. Right, yeah. No, it's, it, yeah. Easy Rider was released by Columbia Pictures, grossing $60 million worldwide on a budget of $360,000. It was a huge fucking yep. hit. At the 42nd Academy Awards, Jack Nicholson was nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, and the film was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. The film's an American classic, and it's been added to the Library of Congress National Film Registry in 1998. Are you going to talk about the ending? Yes, I will get to the ending. 
So there's some interesting facts on Easy Rider. The movie's groundbreaking for the time. Soundtrack featured music from The Birds, Jimi Hendrix, and Steppenwolf. I found out licensing cost for the music was about a million dollars, which is more expensive than the film's fucking budget. Yeah, it's an amazing soundtrack. It is an amazing soundtrack, and I think it was one of the first times using extensive like rock music and pop music as a soundtrack was unheard of at the time. It just wasn't the norm. Right. And this movie, I think, was very... Among other groundbreaking things, that piece of it, it was definitely groundbreaking, and the soundtrack's great. Hmm. Spoiler two, and I know you've been wanting to talk about this part. This film definitely falls into the martyr for counterculture aspect of these types of films because at the end, spoiler, these two guys who were pretty much harassed at various points throughout this movie from authority figures and rednecks and stuff get killed by a couple of fucking rednecks in a truck. Yeah, and it's the most shocking it thing is shocking. that it you've comes out ever nowhere. seen. And then the movie stops. And it's over. And it's over. Yeah. And you're just like, wait, what? What? What, yeah. what just happened? Yeah. This is out of nowhere. And as I said, I love movies where everyone dies at the end. It's my, f- right. my favorite. So that's maybe that's why I loved it so much when I was 14. I was like, oh, everybody died at the end. Yeah. I, I know you like those bleak endings. Yeah. I will say this about Easy Rider 2. It is probably the most sympathetic hippie movie you know it's not a cautionary tale right you know it's not put there to say the drugs are bad or that the hippie counterculture is ultimately destructive or nothing you know it's trying to say from what i can gather what's our place in america right you know what's america at that time period and for someone who views the world differently and is different what's america for them yeah i also think it's a high watermark for these because unfortunately it dips back yeah i don't think it ever got that good it never got that good again and we'll talk about why in just a minute but there's a couple of honorable mentions I want to talk about that came out right around this time period sure. that are other great movies that kind of follow this theme but didn't really get the recognition okay. uh, at, that Easy Rider did. And second of all, I want to talk about this trope, the existential road movie, which I think Easy Rider pretty much invented. Yep. Other movies that kind of followed along that is a movie called Tulane Blacktop from 1971, which was another road movie with these people in a car and they're kind of hippies also driving across America and Mm -hmm. shit happens. And another movie called Vanishing Point, also from 1971, the same type of existential road movie. Maybe not as Mm hippie-ish, but it's still that whole finding America and going on, you know, find find yourself on the road. So both are supposedly really great movies. I haven't seen them, but I've heard a lot of good stuff about them and I wanted to talk about how they sort of got overshadowed by Easy Rider, but Mm -hmm. are still along those lines. Good movies in in their own 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 right, yeah. So, as we mentioned, the high watermark of Easy Rider and a sympathetic look at the counterculture that wasn't there during hippie exploitation. And with movies like Tooling Blacktop and Vanishing Point maybe continuing that trend, mm-hmm. it's safe to say maybe there could have been some legitimacy in the counterculture, or at least, you know, had squares look at it slightly differently because of movies like Easy Rider. Unfortunately, one major event happened that threw a wrench in all of that. Do you know what that was? It was uh, the Mansons. Yeah. Yeah. So on August 9th, 1969, coffee heiress Abigail Folger, Wojtek Frigorski, oh Jay Sebring, Stephen Parent, and Sharon Tate. Of course, yeah who was 26 years old, eight months pregnant, and married to film director Roman Polanski, were all brutally murdered by the Manson family. A day later, Manson's followers struck again, slashing to death grocery store chain owner Lino LaBianca and his wife Rosemary in their home. As a result, a wave of hippie cult hysteria flourished in the wake of these murders. Subsequently, public perceptions of the hippies as a nonviolent, peace-loving subculture began to shift dramatically. Yeah, absolutely. It was huge. It was fucking everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it still is kind I mean, of huge. It still is. Tarantino we'll is like making his next film well, yeah, about it. Yeah. yeah, I was going to talk about that. But yeah, you're right. Anyway, the Manson trial lasted for 10 months. 
It was a media feeding frenzy almost from day one. The press focused on the fact that the Manson family was comprised of mostly young hippie flower children who turned to bloody murder, fed the public's general fear of drugged out hippie thrill killers high on LSD. In the book Helter Skelter, which was written about the Manson murders, Susan Atkins, one of Manson's followers, claimed that the Manson murders had been committed in order to instill fear in the establishment. Which it definitely succeeded. That worked. And of course, as soon as all this shit happens, what happens? Hollywood makes movies about it. Uh Uh-huh, yep. So the first film to capitalize on the post-Manson murder hippie stereotype was I Drink Your Blood from 1970. We talked about it in Rabies. We did, indeed. And it's a cult horror film that centers around a small town overrun by rabies-infected members of a satanic cult after a revenge plot goes wrong. I drink your blood. Men become animals and eat their victims. A young boy infects an entire town with rabies and turns a group of men into a band of bloodthirsty zombies ravaging a peaceful countryside. I drink your blood will make your blood curdle and your skin crawl. Did you watch this movie? I did. So is it just hippies biting people or what? I, I haven't seen it. I think the issue of the movie is it probably could have been really good, but it seems like they just rushed it out so quickly that it didn't really make a lot of sense. It's cut really poorly. Right. It's just, it's a hot mess of a movie, probably because they were like, the most important thing is that we release this in like a week. Right. You because, know? yeah, we need to make money off this Manson shit. Rabid Hippies sounds like a great plot. Agreed. I think someone should remake this. The next movie I want to talk about real quick is Snuff. Now, Snuff, as we talked about in both Snuff and in... The Finlays. In the Finlays, mm-hmm. was filmed by the Finlays in Argentina in 1971. So it was filmed to capitalize on this Manson Correct. thing. So it depicted the actions of a Manson-esque murder cult that goes on around and kills people in a poorly done, low-budget fashion. Yep. It came out as slaughter. We've talked about this. It didn't make any money. Five years later, they tacked on a shitty Snuff ending called it Snuff and made cash. Yep. But initially it was filmed to say, oh shit, the Manson thing, let's make a movie on it. And we discussed that. So I had to mention it. The next movie I want to talk about is The Love Thrill Murders, a.k.a. Sweet Savior from 1971. Okay. So the movie's about this girl named Sandra who's a 70s girl looking for some kicks. We're always looking for kicks, you uh-huh. know what I'm saying, in the form of sex and drugs. One day she decides to have an orgy drug party and invite some freaks, quote unquote, uh, led by Moon, who's some crazy fucker. Oh, the worst thing about hippies are their dumb names. Yeah, I agree. And that's and a dumb name. Star. Hi, I'm Moon. Like, yeah. Shut the fuck up. Anyway, to entertain her and her rich friends, Moon has other plans in mind as his friends are looking for an orgy of sex and gore. So I guess they're like on an LSD-fueled murder spree. Oh, did you say LSD-fueled murder spree? did, <laughs> yes. But fun fact, and the reason I bring this up is because Lloyd Kaufman, future head of Z Movie Production House Troma mm-hmm. Entertainment, was in this movie, and he also acted as production manager. Oh, cool. Troy Donahue, who used to be a big teen idol back in the 50s and early 60s, is in this movie as that cult leader, Moon. Oh, wow. So he's all, like, druggied out and shit. So. Troy Donahue. Yeah. Huh. yeah. So these are the ones that are kind of based off it, but loosely based off it. So I'm going to talk about some other films that are actually more directly related to the Manson murders that tell the story of the Manson murders in one form or another. These were just sort of based off it or loosely based. These are more explicitly about the Manson murders. Mm So you've got one called The Manson Massacre from 1971. Mm -hmm. Then you've got The Other Side of Madness, a.k.a. The Helter Skelter Murders, also from 1971. And then you have the movie version of Helter Skelter from 1976. I remember that one, yeah. Yeah. The year was 1969. A year of social turmoil and political unrest. And a year when desperate youths would migrate to a new leader who would offer them love in return. What are you going to do with us? For murder. 
This was a year that few would ever forget. The Helter Skelter Murders. Helter Skelter is coming! These were, again, capitalizing on it, but these were directly about Charles Manson. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, as you mentioned, that's still even coming back around today as Quentin Tarantino was planning on making a Manson movie. Yep. Which I'm sure he'll handle that project with sensitivity. I'm sure. sure He'll be very respectful. It'll be tender and warm. Maybe Manson will have killed Hitler in a movie theater at the end of this one. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. So I've got a couple of honorable mention movies to talk about here that use the fallout of the Manson murders to tell a different type of horror story. Okay. The first movie I want to talk about is The Death Master from 1972. I like the name. Yeah. And it's about this guy named Quarry who's this... Mati- Mat- Quarry? Quarry, yeah. It's about this guy named Quarry who is a... His name is Quarry. Quarry, like a rock quarry. I guess I can't say anything considering what my name is. But right. Okay. Quarry is a mysterious, articulate stranger who draws a cult-like following of local hippies. Rather than showing them peace and love, he has more sinister plans for them as he is a vampire oh didn't see that coming no okay. no, no yeah. a plot that was a surprise yeah so you got vampires and hippies and then another movie let sleeping corpses lie from 1974 you know this one yep you do mm-hmm. it's about this comedy chases two hippies suspected of a series of manson-like murders unbeknownst to him the real culprits are the living dead brought to life with the thirst of human flesh by chemical pesticides being used by area farmers so hippies and zombies uh-huh Great. How was that movie? I'm sorry, I haven't seen it. I just know of it. Okay, yeah. okay. So, you know, you've got some other supernatural hippie cult-like movies, you know, with vampires and zombies. Cool. Not bad, yeah. Okay, at this point, I want to quickly discuss the decline of hippie culture, because I think by the mid-70s, this shit was on its way out. Yeah. You know, Altamont and Woodstock was in 69, and it just pretty much, the ushering in of the 70s was the ushering out of 60s free love. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most most certainly, you know, that 60s countercultural optimism quickly gave way to 70s nihilism. Yeah. You know, and I think there's a number of reasons for this. Again, the Manson murders was a good start. It to literally the killed of the, the 60s. Hippies. Yeah, it, it definitely did. But also, like the whole summer love thing ended badly. Nobody talks about that, but they trashed hate Ashbury. Yeah. Like it was nasty well the thing is like i'm inspired by hippies because they were doing something different and they were looking around and saying we're not happy with this but the problem is hippies don't know how to act they're (laughs) dirty they smell bad and they leave their garbage everywhere right i totally agree yeah and that's exactly what they did to san francisco they fucked it all up don't know how to act and then of course one other thing by 1975 we were withdrawing from vietnam so that was sort of a rallying point for hippies too to protest vietnam and that was gone well they also helped do that but yes right yeah yeah it wasn't like that happened without them the hippies were a big factor of yeah yeah sure but i'm just saying that is gone their cause cause disappeared yeah of course so a number of other things but yeah I think nothing personifies the end of the hippie era better than the book Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas written by Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. You ever read that book? I can't. It's too um, I mean, it's all crazy. over the place It is me. all over the place. I, when I read, I need a pretty solid beginning, middle, and end, and that one's, it's just too much. Yeah, it's very free. My brain can't process it. No, yeah. that's fair. I like it. I like it. I think it's a good book. But it definitely articulates the decline of the counterculture very well. And the story itself, if you've never read it, is Hunter Thompson, or a fictionalized version of Hunter Thompson, but barely fictionalized. He's going to cover a press story in Las Vegas. He brings his lawyer with him. They get wasted the whole way. They're high the whole fucking time. And in his brief periods of, you know, when he's lucid, he starts ruminating about the end of the counterculture era, and he talks about that. You know, mm-hmm. So it's sort of a regret about the fact that the 60s ended at the same time embracing the pure drug-fueled nihilism of the 70s. Sure. And there's a quote in here from that book that I think really personifies it. I want to read that quote. So 
What he says is, there was a madness in any direction at any hour. You could strike sparks anywhere. There was a fantastic universal sense that whatever we were doing was right and we were winning. And that, I think, was the handle, the sense of inevitable victory over the forces of old and evil. Not in any mean or military sense. We didn't need that. Our energy would simply prevail. There was no point in fighting on our side or theirs. We had all the momentum. We were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. So now, less than five years later, you can go up on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west, and with the right kind of eyes, you can almost see the high water mark, the place where the wave finally broke and rolled back. I think that does a good job of, of articulating that. And with that, I want to move to the 80s and beyond with our films, because I think what we find is that most hippie representations at this point are all burnouts, you know, for the most part, which makes sense since by the 80s, hippies were either burnt out or sold out. Yeah. Uh, some movies of this period that show that are the Cheech and Chong movies. Remember all the Cheech and Chong of films? I love those movies. Maybe we should do one on stoner movies or something, yeah, like an episode so. on stoner movies. But the Cheech and Chong movies, they're total burnouts. Yeah. Especially Chong. He's wasted, you know, has been hippie. And another interesting movie that kind of shows the sellout hippie mindset is the movie Poltergeist. Hmm, Believe it or not. Well, if you remember, I think there's some dialogue and some interactions where the parents were former hippies. There was actually a scene where they're in their bedroom trying to get high before like the thunderstorm hits or whatever. So so they're all kind of like these former hippies who now have regular jobs and live in this like Spielbergian suburban neighborhood. Yuppies. Yeah. So now Mm -hmm. they're yuppies. They're from hippies to yuppies. So it's an interesting take on that where, you know, you've got burnouts and sellouts. Going past the 80s and the 90s, you still had that. Movies like The Big Lebowski, the dude was a huge burnout. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was even a protester. He was so wasted, he couldn't remember half of it. Right. Here he is in the middle of this detective story or whatever. So he did a great job with that, but he was definitely like this burnout character. That came out in 1998, the same year as the movie version of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. You remember that? Yeah, it was a bomb. Yeah, it was. It was a bomb. You know, it was a Terry Gilliam-directed movie. It had Johnny Depp as Hunter Thompson and Benicio Del Toro as his mm-hmm. lawyer. And I think it really was unable to capture the book. Because, How do you make that movie? Yeah. You know, I mean, it just, it wasn't a great idea to begin with. You know, no. I kind of sort of like the movie for what it is. I don't love the movie, but it's so bizarre in a Terry Gilliam-esque way that I think a lot gets lost. Yeah. But the one movie I really want to talk about in the 90s, I think that's the quintessential look back at the hippie era is uh, Forrest Gump from 1994. Mm-hmm. Now that whole movie is nothing but baby boomer nostalgia. Correct. It's a good movie. Forrest Gump is actually a very good movie. It's a very good movie. It probably shouldn't have won the Oscar for Best Picture, but Not over Pulp Fiction, in my opinion. Yeah. But it's a fine movie, fine performances. It is a classic. It's It's a modern classic. It's It's Americana. But if you remember, Mm -hmm. actually, throughout the whole movie, there's a weird kind of dynamic between Forrest and Jenny. Right. Like they basically have a goofus and gallant type of relationship from, you know, like highlights when it's like, Goofus does this. Gallant does this. Forrest is like the Gallant. He's he's special needs, but he follows all the rules. And he's the establishment and gets rewarded. And she's a hippie and she dies of AIDS. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But that's the thing. Why I find it interesting, too, is they use her joining a hippie as sort of like a cautionary tale. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, you know, there's a scene where Forrest just got his Medal of Honor. Mm Mm-hmm. He's in D.C. He wanders into the protest. It's like the biggest protest ever. That's at the Lincoln Steps. A bunch of hippies grab him. They're like, hey, come on and speak. You're right. against the war. And he's like, sure, whatever. And he talks. And you don't hear anything he says because somebody unplugs it or whatever. And these hippies are all like super brazen and kind of assholes. Yep. 
that's where he sees Jenny again. And so he's like, oh, she hey, runs Jenny, the you're pool. great. Yeah. yeah. And so they hug in the fountain. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in the pool. Next, they go to like a Black Panther communist hippie. She's got a hippie boyfriend. He's yeah. like a real asshole. And he's abusive. Yeah. And then he hits her. And then, of course, Forrest beats his ass, which is satisfying. So they really kind of play up the hippie aspect as extremely negative as another bad decision that Jenny does. And of course, Forrest asks her to come home with him then. And he's like, oh, I got to go on the road with these hippies and eventually get AIDS. And he's like, okay, Jenny. And then that's what happens. Right. So it's an interesting piece in that even a movie that is pure boomer nostalgia, Mm -hmm. the hippie part is very like negative and not shown in a very good light. Right. And I find that pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. The last movie I want to discuss is a movie called The Tripper from 2006. It's a slasher film directed by David Arquette and stars Jamie King, Thomas Jane, and Lucas Haas. Remember him? Jeez. Yeah. So have you seen this movie? No, I know Lucas Haas, though. Yeah. Well, let me give the plot synopsis of this movie. Mm-hmm. I actually watched it. It's not very good, but it's kind of nutty. It's got its points. But anyway, the, the plot is it starts in the 80s where this kid, after seeing his lumberjack father arrested because some protester was harassing him, and the father beat up the protester okay. or pulled a gun on him or whatever. Then the kid freaks out and kills the protester with a chainsaw mm-hmm. figure. Flash to the present. And then there's a bunch of kids that are going to this like hippie convention, this hippie free love festival that's happening. It's like a modern hippie thing. And they're hanging out and doing drugs and shit, which is run by Paul Pee-wee Herman Rubens. Oh, Pee-wee. Yeah, so he's in this. However, a deranged psychopath serial killer wearing a Ronald Reagan mask uses an axe to kill a bunch of these stoner hippie people mm-hmm. throughout the movie, which, okay. you know, I can't hate that. Must have missed this one. I must have been asleep it's, that It month. is awful. It's not a good movie. But it does, to its credit, have serious full frontal nudity for both male and female. Like oh. they don't, they don't skimp on swinging dick in this. I think I'll check this yeah, out. You might put that on my it. list. I mean, I'm not saying it's great, or you might find that thrilling or not. But at least it doesn't. I doubt I'll find it thrilling. But, but it do, doesn't pull any punches with some swinging dick. So. I do like full on frontal male and female nudity. And you could tell this movie was trying to be a post Manson like exploitation movie. Like, you tell it was trying to do some of that. So I give it credit for the effort. Um, They have some pretty interesting gore. And I mean, there's this one scene where the Reagan guy goes into this whole, everyone's stoned and wasted. And he just goes in a group and just like massacres a bunch of people. So that's not bad. Yeah. But overall, I mean, the movie kind of sucks. Yeah. So I just had to point that out that at least even now someone's trying to do that. Cool. Every year, thousands of hippies journey to the Redwood Forest to the American Free Love Music Festival. Where America's best and brightest come to celebrate. Yes, beer! Please. But this year, they will experience the ultimate buzzkill. I told you yippies to stay out of the forest. On 420, prepare for a killer trip. The Tripper. It's morning in America. So this is pretty much where I end this topic. I didn't focus on movies past the 70s because I think by the time we get to the 80s, hippies and counterculture have become a punchline. Yeah, totally. The whole burnout, grasping at the glory of time gone by trope has been the norm in movies for like a while. Mm -hmm. So you got the burnout hippie aspect, but also you have the commune slash cult aspect too with the whole Manson murders. But, you know, if you notice throughout the years, that whole cult thing has popped up again in real life that's been fucked up. You've got the Jonestown mass suicide. Mm Mm-hmm. You've got the Branch Davidian compound, which aren't hippies. They're religious oriented 
it, but it's still a cult. Right. And they get raided by police. And then, of course, you had that mass suicide in 1997 with the Heaven's Gate people. Mm-hmm. And so death cults keep coming back yeah, up. Yeah, sure. So, well, even now in, in modern entertainment, The Leftovers... Oh, yeah. What's the uh, show about the women? Oh, yeah, you mean The Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale, Tale, the, the, the yeah. rapey... Yeah, cults are, cults are coming back. Yeah, but they're not looked at very well no, as no. they haven't been. And so... I, f- I feel I, like that's fair. That yeah. is fair. So saying all that, I think it's interesting that for the most part, hippies were never really portrayed well on screen at all. Right. You know, they started as precautionary tales and then ended up being horror movie, cult, LSD murder spree people. Yep. You know, so it rose to the best that it was going to get with Easy Rider mm-hmm. and then and fell, then crashed fell apart because yeah. of Manson. Thanks, Manson. Mm-hmm. You, you ruined it for you, all the You hippies. ruined hippie movies for us. Yeah. Most hippie movies are a cautionary tale against the depravity of a free lifestyle and the hazards of drug use. Especially LSD, which was like the chemical boogeyman of all these movies. Right. You and know? caused a few LSD-fueled murder sprees. It did. Not only that, but it also was used to subdue and medicate Shelley Winters. Uh-huh. Which is which probably is, the only thing that would help. Yeah. Add that Manson murders and the films following that incident. And not, not only you have hippies that are drug-crazed and murderous, like we keep talking about, but ultimately they're just plain horrible. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Horrible hippies. Yeah. My second listener suggested topic of this season. Yeah, it was great. I didn't know a lot of that stuff. I really only knew about Easy Rider and the trip, you know, and then obviously some, you know, what we grew up seeing hippies as, which is basically people that smoke too much pot and are just like, right. what? I always think about the movie Serial Mom and the <laughs> girl that's a witness is like a stoner. And John Waters has never liked hippies, you know. Right. But he was really, you know, when she got on the witness stand, she was so stoned she couldn't even do anything, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And I always thought about that character as being kind of like the stoner character that I remember, the dumb hippie that's too stoned to even do anything. Right. right? No, I agree. So thanks again to listener Duck Cow Whale Fighter Rules All. Please, someone tell us who you are. Yeah, we send us an email and tell to us shout you out and just know whether we know you or whether you just are wandered into the podcast. But thanks again for the topic. It was a really good one. Yep. Thanks. We thanks, everyone. It. All right. So thanks. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find links to some of the movies we talked about today, along with pictures, videos, and additional resources, as well as Sunday Slum Day, our weekly recommendation for the best and sometimes worst films every Sunday night. If you want to keep up with us, we're on Facebook and Twitter where we share out a lot of additional content. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies. All right, so what do we got to put out before we start? I forgot to open my computer, so I don't remember. Okay, well, let's do that. Meanwhile, the rest of us will go on an LSD-fueled murder spree.